you can have a kind of superposition of beliefs that you can you know science it's very important for people to know that science is uh, you know good scientific ideas are there but they may well you know it's a transitional period welcome to unquestionable with your hosts Charles Perry Phillips and Sophie Green where each week we dive into real and raw conversations with experts creators thought leaders and CEOs With our guests, we'll be exploring some of the unquestionable truths behind psychology, mental health and relationships to gain a deeper understanding of human nature. So let's get into today's episode. Is it like one of those things where you say once that you like, you quite like cats and then everyone gets you cat stuff? No. Tea towels or? No one gets me books generally because everyone knows that I have too many books Mm. and they'll go, he's bound to have that. So okay. in fact, it's quite a rarity. In fact, it was it was a book of my friend. You know Laura. She makes war pen friend mm. obey robots. Um, yeah, she, she always does a nice little lyric book with her releases, and she's just done oh, an uh, album with rap from Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Mm. Oh, and, good. That's uh, a that's a, a name I haven't heard for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I had their Ned, album. Ned still tour, and they, they actually are? Okay. do pretty well. On, oddly enough, they've they've had a strange longevity when you would consider them to be the kind of black country band that were, you know. Lower than the poppies and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just love that. I'll name. explain all these generational differences to you later on. Don't worry. Just gonna have a. Just drink. so I know, what age are you? Uh, well, actually, it's my birthday on twenty eighth. Twenty eighth, and I'm going to be thirty one. Right. Okay. So I just need to know what footnotes. Yeah. So I was, yeah. Think nineties sort of. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before nineties, I wouldn't have a say. Well, you're born in the nineties, not. Um... Yeah. Well, early nineties. Because I grew up in the nineties, but um, yeah. I mean, yeah, although we were the talking 90s about this. cultural references weren't necessarily so, hit home. Yeah, we were driving up this morning, right? And we both, we spend so much time together that we've started to like mutate into one person, like one being. Yeah. And we both immediately <laughs> just burst into song out of nowhere. And we were singing um, Rob, because Robert, you know, you're obviously here. And then Rosie was here before you. And we were going, Robin and Rosie, Robin and Rosie. Da, da, da. And then we were like, what is that tune? And we we're like, we can't have made it up because we've both just started singing it. And it turned out it was Bodger and Badger. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you remember, you remember that? Because you immediately think it was going to be Rosie and Jim, wouldn't you? Yes. That, and then, and then, yeah. we, then we sang yeah. that next. This was the same conversation we had. See, yeah. same brainwave. Because that we, was, yeah, because I got asked the other day, you know, sometimes doing interviews, you get those questions, you think, I wonder if my brain will work fast enough. And someone in the audience actually said, what character would you be from Wind in the Willows? Which had nothing to do with anything <laughs> I talked about. And I immediately went, I, I said Badger, because I think I have the largest collection of books. And also his yeah. jaw is actually hinged and attached by bone, whereas all the other animals upon death, they would actually... The jaw would drop, so <laughs> it would allow me to keep good, talking for good, a bit longer. Good you know. reason as any. Yeah. Fascinating, but ba- ba- you, you will know all about badger skulls, though, won't you? Yeah. Well. Oh. Well. Yes. Actually. No. That's what I, I genuinely thought you would because of your work, and and you will have thought yeah. about the anatomy of things. And um, I would say that I usually think more about like the personalities of the animals, right? But so while they're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to I would, the rotting I'd probably corpse. probably prefer animals to be alive. Um, my sentences don't usually start with upon death. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, I mean, I guess as a uh, as a wildlife artist, I should understand the anatomy because you... You're doing all right. I've seen your work. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much. So, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get, get bogged down <laughs> okay. by a skeletal structure. You don't need to worry about it. <laughs> okay. The, um, Thank you. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? The... Uh, um, yeah, there was. Uh, I was doing an event with Harry Hill on Saturday, and he was showing some of his silent movies that he's made. And there's one with a donkey, and but all the long shots 
of him as Napoleon riding the donkey, of course, are a, uh, they have to be a pretend uh, man sat on there because the donkey's back isn't strong enough. Because oh. they're quite like a zebra, yeah, they're yeah. quite. Uh, yeah. And he said it was quite weird. He said because obviously we had a donkey that had been stuffed in a real donkey, and he said every now and again I'd look at the donkey that was alive, and I could sense it almost going through existential anxiety. <laughs> yeah. as it went, Is that my future? Why am I here? <laughs> Will I end up on wheels to be part of some kind of joke? <laughs> <laughs> oh, weird. Well, Robin, it's lovely to have you here. Yep. Thank you so much for your time. It's nice a real privilege. Um, I know you're sort of dismissing it as being like, but I like we, we appreciate people. It's nice. Well, yeah. Well, well, me too. Me too. Uh, funny enough, just touching on something you just said about kind of searching for information, and I, I wondered about this. Been wondering about this for a little while. Are are we as a as, as a um, an international community becoming sort of the beneficiaries of past fact finders? Because I, you know, you seem like a obviously a very uh, curious person, someone who's always curious about the world and how it works and everything in it. Um, do you think that we are like resting on our laurels a little bit where it comes to curiosity and fact finding? I, th I think it's half and half. Uh, I think there's never been as many curious people who are so excited to have access to information. And then on the other side, there. Are, I mean, I, I'm sure you saw that clip the other day. I'm not entirely sure what it was about. I think it was about two parents who were going to take their child away from the school uh, because of critical race theory. Did you see that clip? Where so, so the reporter goes, so why, 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 what have you got against the school? And he goes, critical race theory. And he said, uh, can you explain what is critical race theory? And he went, I don't know. And it was literally, it was, it wasn't like watching one of those radio shows where someone slowly is is their cognitive distance is is spinning at a speed near that of light because they realise they have no understanding of why they've made that decision. This was someone literally saying, "I am against this," and what is it? I have no idea. <laughs> and so there is is a lot of that. There's a lot of people. I mean, one of the things about resting on our laurels as well. It's interesting when you think of all the past people. Is for me, it's always intriguing all of the forgotten people who've been culturally forgotten because they were not the dominant group at the time. Mm -hmm. So you know, when we look at female artists, when we look at female scientists, when we look at anthropologists, and you know, so, so even that alone, mm. you start to get an incredible rich history. Which is bef before we start to think about the future, we need to, you know, when you go and you look at how written off, uh, you know, indigenous groups like in Australia were, and you start to find out about their science, and you're not able to survive in somewhere like Australia just by wandering about and every now and again killing a kangaroo and eating it. You know, there's a <laughs> yeah. real complexity to their relationships with the sky their understanding of the stars, the nature of myth. So, you know, the first thing I think we need to do is start scrubbing our mind a little of the presumptions we make from the reality tunnel that we live in, which is, you know, if you don't tr keep trying to punch holes, you end up, you know, we see a lot of this, of course, in 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 some of the the the, the trans debate. Incredible aggression there because people want. You know, what about the science? What you know? What the, the science is? And, and you go, well, actually, to me, it appears to be. It's like everything in biology. It's much murkier. You know, we, Joel's, you and me, we're both men, but uh, for, for the time being, and for I, you know, but. We're different levels of, you know, that, that idea that you are merely this one thing. And so that, you know, that's another huge thing that we need to kind of, you know, people get very worried if they lose their certainties. Mm. And actually, one of the main things that we need is not, it's not merely about resting on our laurels. It's about opening ourselves up to doubt. Mm. 
It's about working out why we believe. What, uh, you are only asking one question, and then I just talk 45 minutes. Can I just check now? Perfect. Right, okay. Sorry, I've suddenly realised there's no short answers. No, it's great. I, I don't even know what I'm talking about. That's the thing <laughs> I enjoy. This is like, you know, I, I never... Uh, the, the branching off, uh, and you suddenly go, well, hang on, where on earth have I got there? Well, but I, I love do that. think, I love you know, that. avoiding, you know, trying to sit down and sit with people and let's talk in, in a doubtful manner. Let's talk, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very interested in, in a woman called Anne Fausto Sterling who wrote a book called Sex in the Body. She's a biologist and activist and a feminist, 78 years old now. And uh, um, and I just mentioned how good her book was. At one point, she, she, she said something that just made me think a lot. She said, you have to remember that, uh, I think it was, uh, I'm, this is a slight misquote, right? So I apologise for that. But she said uh, that notions of gender are a social, not scientific mm. construct. And I mentioned that and then got all these people piling on and being very aggressive about that. And I wasn't talking about anything apart from that. I'd just mm -hmm. been seeing an exhibition called Undefining Queer uh, at the Whitworth in Manchester. And someone then said, we well, do know that her work is a satire, actually. And and I said, oh, I don't think I don't think it is. But if if I, and I was quite open, I said, well, maybe maybe I've entirely misunderstood. I said, I do know she wrote a paper that was satirical. And then I wrote to her, and she was very quick. She came straight back. She went, No, 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 my book's not satirical at all. She said, I did write a paper that's satirical, but even that that paper that's satirical is is it. I also mean it. So that's how satire and, – and then when someone came back at me again and I said, look, I've actually spoken to Anne Fausto-Serling and this is what she said. And they went, well, I don't, I don't think that matters though. And you go, so literally now, you know, this, this, yeah. this strange extended Derrida idea of, of the author, which is, well, she didn't even know. She thought she was <laughs> – she, she, she's written a satire. Yeah. And, and I find those kind of things are – you know, they can also drive you, you mad. Yeah. But yeah. I think, yeah, people – people get so um, attached to their beliefs and how, the way that they see the world and anything outside of that can be quite threatening. It's like somebody's like ripping the rug out from under your feet to even consider any other way of looking at the world. And you see it when you do watch people get into these arguments and Twitter is great for it because you can read all the comments and you know, you've got people giving evidence uh, like actually this, this is how it actually is. I've, you know, I've spoken to the author or whatever. And then the response it's often anger and rage that you've tried to sort of question their idea of what the world is. And I suppose science especially is is interesting for that because you're making new discoveries all the time. And, and I always think with science, people see it as fact. But, you know, it's fact that as we know it in the moment, but mm. as we n learn more about the world, you know, at one point we thought the world was flat and, and now we know better kind of thing. And so I guess do you sort of get, I mean, I know that you have a lot of, dealings with science as well because of your amazing podcast uh, the you. infinite monkey cage people should go go listen um and i know that you sort of joke around that you're sort of like the you're surrounded by all these scientists and you're the one that comes in and makes all these jokes and stuff but you're obviously a very intelligent man and do you see this in the scientific sort of community as well people kind of battling with different ideas of the world and 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 having their belief systems shattered kind of thing yeah i mean i think this, the, the the book that i wrote a while ago partly that's what i wanted to do was try and say you can have a kind of superposition of beliefs that you can you know science it's very important for people to know that science is uh you know good scientific ideas are there, but they may well, you know, it, it, it's a transitional period. You know, the fact that scientists now, they have a lot of trouble putting together quantum mechanics and the idea of gravity mm. uh, at the very start of the universe. They just don't seem to be able to work. And so 
I talk to scientists and they'll say, well, in the end, gravity will be disproved. Not, not that it doesn't mean that we all suddenly float off, because I remember saying that to someone once and they looked terrified. I said, no, 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 <laughs> the, what, the, what, the world will still, in terms of the physical behaviour, yeah. it will be the same. But the understanding of what gravity is may require a whole. So those kind of things need to be moving all the time. And, you know, in biology and genetics, you know, every time there's a new paper about genetics, it, seems, it, it becomes messier and messier and messier. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important for people to know. But then at the same time, not to, because people think that science is saying, this is certain, mm. then when it does change, they go, oh, I see scientists got that wrong. And you go, no, 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 it's 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 a move. And I think it's very important for like I've got a very different kind of mind, obviously, to Brian. Like if, if we were talking about ghosts, for instance, Brian would say ghosts break the second law of thermodynamics, and so they don't exist, and that would be the end of that. Whereas my interest in ghosts is why we believe in ghosts, the fact that I think that when you're in any place which has any sense of a history that you a knowledge that you have of the history, you can have a sense of the ghosts that are around there. Mm. Now that's not ghosts as in the Canterville ghost or anything like that, and someone holding up their, you know, like oh in the TV series Ghost, not like that, but the, this sense of of memory mm. is you know so, so that's I suppose that's where I am the the, the on on the, the you know the the hippie side. Do of, you believe in ghosts? I believe that our memory and our psychology creates beautiful and wonderful things if you open yourself up to it. But I don't believe that when you die, when I die, when Giles dies, I don't believe that. A the something of ourself that is left behind will be someone who's looking at one of your you know one of your works on the wall, and they will go, oh man, I remember I saw Sophie doing that, and just I remember, and and so you are still alive mm. there, you're still alive in the mind, mm. and that's where the ghost is, and they might be going for a walk one day, and they'll remember a time that you painted a hill that was over there, or they'll remember a time that they were walking with you, and to me, and sometimes it's not even people you knew, you know, the the uh, I've talked before about standing in the middle of the stones of Kalanish, uh on uh, on the Isle of Lewis in the Outer Hebrides, and um, standing in the middle of that stone circle and placing my hand on a stone there, I had a tremendous sense, I was, it was Beautiful, quiet day, sunny, no one else there. Tremendous sense of just feeling the history and all the things that had been there before. Mm. But rather than that coming from the stone, I think that comes from all the jumbled up things in my mind. The contact of that stone, it's like it zooms out, hits the stone and then comes back as all these echoes. Mm. So that's my, do you believe in ghosts? Again, we need to define it. It's a bit like when people say, do you believe in God? Well, actually, God is yeah. so many different things. But yeah, so so if we say ghosts as in when someone's died, there is still actually An outside, yeah, outside of you, there is a there, there may still be a voice. There may be someone who, who returns outside of you. Yeah, I think I do. I think my views of the world, I've, I view it more in terms of energy rather than, you know, like a, a man in a white sheet, like the typical view of the guy you know that sort of thing but i look at the world or as pe people and plants and animals and stuff as sort of vibrating energy and then when we die that energy has to like continue in some way right um but i do i think i believe in like past lives and stuff like that oh, okay i think i'm quite quite what's the word for that Hippie? <laughs> We're all hippies. spiritual. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, spiritual as well means so many different mm. things. I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't. That's not how I think about it. But I think there's nothing wrong with you know, like all of these thoughts. Mm. I think it's only a bit like when you was talking before about identity. This is one of the dangerous things: is the moment that your belief becomes your identity. Right. Yeah. Then when mm. someone attacks that, 
or even just yeah. questions it. This this is why, you know, in a very simple way, vegetarianism or veganism or things like that, people get very uppity about that. And I think it's not mm. because that person isn't eating meat. Mm. It's because they see that person as saying, oh, that's very interesting. So you've killed a cow. And yeah. they're not saying that. Mm -hmm. And in fact, my experience of most vegans, I'm, I'm you know, very pleased that vegans exist because as a vegetarian, they've taken the heat off us hugely. <laughs> but I, you're welcome. Most of them don't aren't like, you know, they're not no. always going on about you know all those jokes about oh, how do you know if you're with a vegan? They'll tell you. Yeah. And it's like no more people bang on about vegans banging on than vegans bang on. Yeah, that's yeah. where the real tedium is. Well, that's that is. I was literally, was it you I was talking to about this yesterday? No, I don't think it was. Anyway, I was talking about something. Every time I go and eat fam uh, dinner with my family who love, live up in Surrey. Yeah, it was me. Yeah, <laughs> every single time it gets brought yeah. up, but not yeah. by me. It's like, oh, we've got to, we've got to accommodate the person that doesn't eat animals or whatever. And it's like, but if you don't know how to cook a meal that doesn't have meat in it or dairy or whatever, like... What are you eating what, like on a day-to-day -day basis? But anyway. No, but that's a great example, a very simple physical example of the demand of a certain strict normality in the world. And yeah. and I think we see that in so many different, you know, I've I've certainly experienced it talking to people about mental health, talking to them about sometimes the, if they have a, a physical disability, you know, sometimes you can mm. see it as a very political thing. But even these, these slighter stories are a story which is the offence to not follow the rules that have been supposedly agreed upon. But probably yeah. none of us have agreed upon them. They just kind of circle around us and restrict us. That is so true. Yeah. And I wonder if sort of social media as well exacerbates that because now at the the whole world is at our fingertips. Whereas before we were in villages and we were kind of confined to the people that we, we were our immediate, you know, companions or whatever. And now you can see people all over the world, different cultures, different races, different, you know, uh, LGBTQ plus community members, like everyone is at you know which is amazing but it also means that it rocks the boat for so many people mm. that are in this little bubble of like no the world has to be like this sort of thing. well it goes back to what we were saying about um questioning people's ideas and how that is how ideas are so connected to their identity and you obviously just talked about that and how you know like once your identity identity is being questioned then mm. obviously you're going to be defensive about that and like, you, you know, you, negativity is going to spawn from that. Well, we often look at it the wrong way around as well in terms of like there was an article in The Telegraph uh, recently, which, again, that's one of the problems with social media. I don't read any newspapers, but I know what's in them every single day. Yeah, that's not, it doesn't make <laughs> yeah. me happy. What's trending? But it was uh, about the fact that this, this uh, older publisher was saying that he worried that due to diversity, we wouldn't find the new John Grisham. And you go, but no, you're looking at that entirely the wrong way around. You're, to me anyway, my personal, which mm. is who are the John Grishams, if that's what you're looking for, that you've missed yeah. because they weren't a white bloke. Mm, and exactly, yeah. It's so true. Yeah, um, we we were talking about this as well, you know, not reading the news and stuff, and I'm really bad for it. Like I, t I switch off to anything, like political, world affairs, you know. That's why, that's why I say you're so happy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I honestly think it There's is. This blissful life away from and I, I, We were talking about something, you're like, I was like, I don't need to know about that now. I'll read about it in the history books in a few years. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, obviously in terms of politics, you know, I'll do my research when it comes time to vote. And then once that's done and that's over with, I just let it go. And it, it's so nice to not have 
those like super strong political beliefs and ideologies because then when people are sort of like butting heads and having these like really heated debates about that sort of thing I don't get as triggered by it um my triggers are more in terms of like you know how we treat people and 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 stuff like that and and actually politics and how we treat people like our values go hand in hand often it's people that have certain political ideologies will also have similar values in that sense I think so yeah I think social media is is pretty bad for that isn't it sort of people clashing in terms of politics religion stuff like that well like the day we were recording this there's the Roald Dahl story which you've seen mm. which is you know yeah. th there's been I, I think the word fat uh, for Augustus Gloop has been changed to enormous there's a few m m minor changes mm. of, of his book um, I can see how some people believe that the art should remain exactly the same but to me mainly that is uh something which will now be where your righteous ire gets poured and so then the actual things that look like childhood poverty and the increase in childhood poverty which if you're worried about children and you're worried about the fact they're going to read enormous instead of fat you're going to be even more worried about the fact that they're living more and more children living in poverty mm. but you've got rid of all your righteous ire on this much smaller story yeah. which of course everyone can write about because everyone can have an opinion it doesn't yeah. require research it doesn't require going to you know a small town in, in South Wales and seeing what's happening to children there whatever it might be or, or in any inner city etc and so I think that's I think it's a very good reason to stay away from newspapers because you will eventually find out what's going on anyway yeah and news i mean something that really frustrates me is that every single day you know shows start with and let's have a look at today's newspapers and the, and oh it's the end of the evening now and the newspapers are and so it means that already our conversations have been controlled mm. by uh, a group of non-tax-paying you know super rich people and mm. um, so suddenly you've got steered off yeah, so things like that, I think it is, you know, and, and as you said, kindness and how you treat people, that's the, the the first, you know, it's like walking into a room, isn't it, and seeing the first thing of the different disparity in in, uh, in power. Mm. Mm. When you actually can observe that, when you can observe, you know, I've worked on TV shows where I've seen someone come in and they've shouted at the runner because mm. their ham sandwich is not the kind of ham they wanted. And then the executive producer comes in and they're so lovely. And from that point yeah. onwards, they're, they're on my little list of untrustworthy human beings. Mm. Yeah. Oh god, I hate that, don't you? Mm. It's it's people that are like rude to waiters and waitresses and stuff like that, but then they're really nice to the person sat opposite them. It's sneaky. sneaky. Well, that's what Muhammad Ali said, didn't he? Oh, he, really? he 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 said I always judge people by the way they treat their waiter because it would only be a couple of changes in my life and I'd have been that waiter. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I think that's a Exactly. It's so true. There's something to be said about that for sure. It's um it's the kind of um entitled networky you know it's just lack of compassion at the end of the day isn't yeah. it? but I do feel like people kind of can mask their their identity and I'm using you know inverted commas for that um as their political value it, or their political views or their religious views or whatever it is it's sometimes they use that as an excuse to sort of thinly veil you know racism or whatever it might be like some quite bigoted views and stuff like that and it's like they're hiding behind that mask of you know this is my identity i i'm this way inclined politically or religiously or whatever it might be um and yeah they they can easily use that i think
There's an interesting, I've, I've been banging on about this book a lot. It's called Homegrown by Joan Smith, who also wrote Misogynist, uh, a couple of versions of that book. And um, she wrote a book looking at terrorist acts, uh, really predominantly in the 21st century, as far as I remember. It's a while ago since mm. I read it. But the most interesting takeaway thing from the book was a lot of the men, nearly all the men, I think, who had committed violent acts in the name of religion actually had not, they weren't fundamentalists initially. What they had a track record all of being was uh, people who were abusers. They were people who, in one case, actually someone who'd managed to kill two of his wives and get away with it. And so you go, and it's it's a nice, easy thing for us to go back to that quote, you know, uh, you know, religion doesn't make people do bad acts, but without religion you wouldn't have. Yeah, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and you go, that's not, that's just not true. Mm. Fundamentalism is 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 a danger, but sometimes fundamentalism, what really draws people to certain kind of belief systems, is, it, as you just said, it gives them the justification. Yes. So you go, ah, because I believe that. Actually, that no, that's in you. I mean, you mm. watch some of these, you know, a politician like Rhys Mogg, who will sometimes stand up and say it is his religion that gives him these opinions mm. on whatever it might be. Um, but then there's lots of other bits as where it, it, the religion is of no importance whatsoever. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's okay to have poor kids but not have abortions, basically. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah that's, that's um, but I, I wanted to go back to what I was obviously asking you at the beginning was about this kind of... Have uh, we gone off the subject? We did a little that's bit. That's a bit weird. I yeah, don't know how that happened. Yeah, it's fine. I like it. It's um, so linear, normally. <laughs> <laughs> this idea about curiosity and that and obviously we've touched on like the fact that you know people have certain ideas about the world and how we can i was just way if is there a way we can cultivate these things more how can we kind of encourage people to to actually seek out information and actually do a bit of due diligence on, I, on certain subjects i think you i think you have to be open firstly to the idea that there might be things at school that you found really boring because of the way that they were taught which of course nowadays is very often due to the curriculum that is pushed onto the teachers and forced onto them more than the teachers themselves. Mm. You know, I often meet, well, not just science teachers, lots of teachers, and uh, and they're so frustrated by having to keep hitting targets because to me the most important thing that we should be taught is to be excited by knowledge. So it doesn't matter if you don't know everything about Macbeth at the end of that English lesson, but the idea that you want to know more about Macbeth, that's the important mm. thing. Yeah. So I, I think firstly is to really just go... I'm going to stare at that wall there. There's a wall opposite me now. I'm going to think about why that wall was built. Why was that wall built? Who built that wall? Who was thinking when they built these studios? Whatever, you know, you look at a plant and you think about photosynthesis or you think about, you know, there's a lovely thing where when you start thinking of all the connections of the story, Oliver Sacks, who's a writer uh, that I, I absolutely adore, man who took his wife for a hat and things like that, and, and he wrote this lovely piece. Of, there's a collection of pieces he wrote about Darwin and the psychologist William James stuff. Uh, I think it's called not River of, I can't remember anyway, but River of Thoughts, something like that and the first one is about how he fell in love with flowers and one of the things he fell in love with was when he was a little boy he was going around the garden with his mum and he looked at the marigolds and he noticed that they weren't being pollinated by bees there were no bees there there was a, a weird little beetle instead and that's when his mother explained that when you look inside a flower and you see what's pollinating it you get some sense of what evolved at what time so bees and flowers, mm. you need to have roughly the same timeline because that's that. And then marigolds, because they actually were there before tulips, daffodils, etc. Well, they wouldn't get pollinated by bees because bees didn't exist. So that relationship. So suddenly you immediately, just by looking in that flower, you you see a new relationship and you see a new story there. And I think it is to, it, it is to stop wanting to be certain. 
Mm. To to it's a very hard thing because, you know, as, the older you get, you you want to believe certain things, and sometimes when people question you, I was talking about this with uh, Lucy Nickel, who mm. just written a book called "Don't Don't Call Me Snowflake," and we were talking about the fact that sometimes when you're trying to be progressive, you end up saying something where someone progressive says, "Oh, actually, that word really isn't a cool word," and blah blah blah. And your first reaction is, oh, I was just trying to help. Was just, oh, and, yeah. and of course, the thing is that you have to go, well, do you know what? If you are trying to help, mm. then you have to listen. Yeah. So I think listening is a really, you know, is, 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 is such an important thing. But I, I, I have no template of doing it. All I can say is that the world to me becomes so much. It's like yesterday. I think I, I used to have uh, much worse anxiety than I have now, and um, and there's things that I do now that I wouldn't have been able to do a couple of years ago. Uh, I've always been quite approachable after gigs and stuff like that. But you know that bit when you go into someone else's space. So yesterday at the Bristol Old Vic, there was uh, um, there's a little library in the foyer where people can borrow books, and there was a woman just looking at the library, and I was between shows, and there was a book called Stay with Me by Ayabami Adabe which is one of my favourite, I thought it was just an incredible novel. And I just wandered over, I said, I'm so sorry, but can I just say, um, this book here, because you're browsing, is the most wonderful novel. And then it fortunately actually turned out, she went, oh, I saw you at Toppings in Bath. I was hoping you might come over. So, oh. just, But, you know, I didn't know that before. But Maybe that that's bit, why she was stood by the books. Yeah, she knew like, he'll yeah. be here eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, there's the books fly here. comes, yeah. the fly yeah. comes. <laughs> but, it, but it was, and, and then I had that, and, and we then had a lovely conversation of just sharing different ideas. And then she sent me a, you know, all of those things. Like I had a lovely one in a bookshop. I was in Sedbury, a lovely place called Westwood Books. And quite often when I'm doing a gig in a bookshop beforehand, people who don't know, you know, who I am and they're not coming for the event, they just presume that I'm a bookseller. And so people will ask questions. So I, I, I was, but this person did know. They'd come to the gig and I'd been in the bookshop for a few hours so I knew where everything was and uh, I saw her looking at the death section I said do you mind I said what book what kind of book are you looking for said, oh <laughs> someone about the uh, kind of c cultures and traditions around the world the death I went oh I know which one you need is uh, Caitlin Doherty they say it's it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good book she went oh fantastic do you know where the cannibal books are I said yeah they're just over there <laughs> but you probably already got Ray Tannehill she went oh I have got Ray Tannehill I said yeah everyone's always got that haven't they and then, and then I get to a bookshop in uh, Swindon about two weeks later and they say by the way we've got some mail for you and she sent me three books oh wow and then i got to a bookshop in Br bristol Bookhouse, and i got a, a message the other day said oh i forgot to mention when you came to do the gig are you still in bristol because you've got some mail so like the fact that i'm now firstly people are going to presume either we find out his home address but it's far more likely we'd find him in a bookshop so where yeah. bookshops here yeah. but again all of that that sharing and that mm. excitement and that that fight again is just, I find it so, I think anxiety gets in our way a lot of the time in so many different ways. And one of them is in having conversations. You know, I've spent most of my life with people saying, why are you saying that weird thing? That's weird, that's weird, that's weird. And once you actually, if you are lucky enough to get some form of understanding of your brain or some sign, sometimes an outsider diagnosis or whatever it might be, and you can start to get used to it, it improves the world remarkably when you go, I will be asking weird questions, I'll be saying weird things, and somewhere on this journey, hopefully you and I will discover something wonderful and beautiful and strange and we'll share. So I think I think that again, I think it comes back to kindness and compassion as well. That mm. bit of when you see someone and you know you can just talk to them. Mm. And the things that I've learned 
after gigs. You know, yesterday, one of my favourite things is quite often, sometimes teenagers bring their parents, sometimes parents bring their teenagers, sometimes grandparents, and all that kind of thing. And chatting to a, uh, a mother and a son, and uh, they've both now been diagnosed with ADHD and autism. He's only in his teens, so it's not a nice early stage. She's got through a lot of her life with that. Mm. And just the things that they want to share and the stories they want to tell you. And, yeah, it's just a beautiful humanising thing. Mm. So sorry, I was going to say, was it always social anxiety though? But that, that was it's every it was every bloody form of anxiety. Yeah. It really was. It was kind of uh, obviously social. I mean, social anxiety would include literally, you know, walking down the street, anything that was outside, anywhere where there might be someone who could judge the way that you were walking. Were you walking in a weird way? Were mm. people, you know, I've always had that sense that people are kind of, you know, who's that weirdo? Who's that freak? Where, wherever I've, I've been, mm. um, but I think I masked it pretty well. Uh, and then I started to go. I remember I was doing uh, the Latitude Festival and the person who was running the stage is a wonderful author called Lisa. Uh, I don't know if you know Lisa Blower. She's really, really good. Heard of her, yeah. yeah. And, um, and she said, oh, man, I always just watch you with such envy. You're so confident. I see the way that you put together all those shows and the way you talk to people and stuff. And I thought, oh, yeah. And, and then someone did it another time. And I thought, oh, yeah, all these people see this confident human being and they don't realise that at the moment I finished talking to her, my brain goes, oh, my God, did you say something that looked like it was rude? Or did, or did you? You say, oh my god, was there something that you said that could be interpreted as being like some kind of weird sexual thing? Or the, you know, that and and so I call that the post-match analysis. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. It is and, and, and normally it's going on during the match as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. What am I yeah. saying? What am I saying? What am I saying? Is that okay? Is that okay? Is that okay? Yeah. And I had never realized. I mean, I, one, I think a lot of us just go, I don't want to make a fuss. And this, you know, we, we keep hearing different stories of people. Sometimes it's actually about physical pain. I saw something today, a woman who had an injury in her wrist uh, uh, and uh, basically this then exacerbated the pain that she found out wasn't normal, but she'd just been living with a physical pain. Mm. Where the doctor went, if she always, you, you, and she was like, oh, I, th- I kind of just thought that's what... Everyone had. Everyone had, yeah. <laughs> and and now, and so that that freeing up is you just find out how much more energy you have. Mm. I mean, I'm normally quite an energetic person anyway in terms of creating things, yeah. but I've got even more time now because um, the anxiety is remarkably draining. Mm. And and it's only when you've taken that heavy coat off that you go, wow. Like I was walking to, did either of you go and see the horror show at Somerset House? No, but I've heard about this. Oh, well, you missed a treat. You were both fools not to do that. <laughs> Wonderful uh, exhibition. And I was I was going there with uh, with my son and my wife. Um, just suddenly I had that, you, you know, when you, you just notice and you go, oh, yeah, I've got all the way here. I'm just having a chat with the person on the door. Mm. And I've not got that voice. And I didn't sit on the train being worried perpetually about people's judgment of me or think, oh, no, I bet the toilet's out of order and I bet I need the toilet on the train. You know, all of those, all those different things. Mm. Um, it was, it, you know, there's a little moment, I think, sometimes where you go, oh, man, that's 40 years that I did. But then you go, that's fine anyway. That's in the other bit of the block universe. Mm. Now, the way ahead, enjoy the clearing yeah. that exists. The presence. Yeah. But I do wonder if the fact that you've had that for so many years has actually made you more open and empathetic to others. And I, I don't know, I've we both suffer from anxiety. You're in good company. Anxiety. Yeah, no, I think I've seen both of you mention yeah. that in, in, in the past, yeah. In the story of my whole life since I was like a toddler. Um, and... I, I've always found that the people that I feel the most comfortable with are the people that also suffer from anxiety. And it's like you have that openness to 
to make people feel more open, you know, to make people feel more comfortable and stuff. And I wonder if that's why, paradoxically, even though you've had this social anxiety, you're now more able to sort of have these conversations with people and go up to people in bookshops mm. and, and say, oh, have you tried this book and stuff like that? Because most people, you know, when they, if people don't even don't suffer from social anxiety, it's quite unusual to just start a conversation with a stranger in any mm. setting. People kind of recoil, like, oh my God, what's this person? Do they either want to know the time, they want to know directions, or they're or insane. Yeah. Or they want, yeah, exactly. We're quite cynical in that way, aren't we? Mm. But maybe, I don't know, maybe the fact that you've had so, some form of social anxiety has made you more open to... Them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you, you can't ever, you know, that, that hope that if only that hadn't, you go, well, everything is what makes you. Mm. You know, there can obviously for some people be truly terrible things where you think, yes, to, to have removed uh, that event in someone's life and you want to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely played a huge part. And it, and, and the realisation, you know, to be in my 50s and like on Friday, uh, I went to someone called Heidi Heidi Heels, who lives in, in Bristol. And uh, she's in, amongst other things, the Fallen Women, who are an all-female full tribute band who are absolutely excellent. And and she said, oh, I've moved into this house and there's loads of books there, that one that I was mentioning beforehand. And uh, do you want to come and have a look? And we were just having a cup of tea and I brought some biscuits and we were just chatting away. And I, I was suddenly very aware of the fact that both of us perhaps in the past would have had a wariness of, oh my God, did I just say a weird thing? But because both of us know that we have this, everything was, Mm. you know, that's the thing that disappears. Sometimes you've sat with people and both of you are going through the same thing. Mm. But once you know that both of you are going, then all bets are off. It's fine. Yeah. And and, and you've both been tiring yourself out. We've always said, oh, yeah. Oh, I just talked over you. I'm so sorry. That's absolutely fine. I can see that. <laughs> oh, my God. What was I talking about in the first place? What did we start off by talking about? It's all fine. It's yeah. all fine. And um, the relaxation of being in that company. Mm. It's energising. So. Yeah. Oh, hugely so. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't need to worry about what I'm saying. Like the, them judging me because they're probably worrying about themselves. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, yeah. They're busy questioning themselves. But yeah, no, it is. It's at, being in the presence of like-minded people is very energising, and 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 being in the presence of people that are you know cynical and aggressive and defensive can be quite tiring, can't it? Yeah, I really I've cut so much that out. Mm. I just, I just, I've always tried to do that. I want, and, and more and more, you know, it's, I'm lucky to, you know, I've been working with Josie Long for a very long time. And, you know, the, we used to have a very lucky thing, actually, which was sometimes when she was really down over stuff, career stuff, whatever it was, was when I would be on and up. Mm. And so then you can put your hand down and but, uh, and then you you know the seesaw goes the other way yeah, and, yeah. And, and I think we, we'd, we'd worked out our cycles quite well <laughs> in terms of being able to, to, to grab the hand of the other person. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's really nice when you find those kindred spirits, isn't it? Yeah, something very empowering about it. Um, yeah, I can't remember what I was going to ask now. We've only got to question two. I know, I know. Come on. Come on. Question two. Quick fire round. Favourite colour? Favourite colour. Oh, God, we've got to this point, have we? I'm going to have some more cake. Yeah, cake's a good idea. Um, no, it's about, I guess, um, going back to the ideas thing and um, kind of cu- curating ideas and how, um, I guess, are there enough ways of curating ideas, you know, that we can then um, allow people to effectively go through with them? Like, uh, we're not, I feel like a lot of ideas are stamped out quite early doors. Yeah, yeah. 
There's, there was a great exhibition at the Science Gallery, in, which used to no longer there in Dublin, which was called Fail, Fail Again, Fail Better, you know, the yeah, Beckett yeah, yeah. thing. And it, as well as having a, a first draft of a manuscript by Beckett, it had, you know, James Dyson's first machine that he made that didn't re All the failures. Yeah. And I think this is one of, yeah, the, the allowance for failure is, is you know, there's, it, it's like, get ready for this. It's like Wittgenstein said. Yeah, 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 I said that. Uh, he, <laughs> he said, you know, if people didn't do stupid things, then nothing intelligent would get done. Yeah. And that bit of just, going like I, 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 I was talking to a friend of mine Samina who's moved out to New Zealand uh, now and she's based in Wellington she's a great artist and writer and activist and stuff like that and and the, she said when I was there back in December she said it's just amazing being in New Zealand she said because you come up with an idea and no one immediately says no she said about five of the first hurdles of just not there. And I've talked to an Australian filmmaker friend of mine, Darren, he said the same thing. He, he, he says, you just go, what, what about? And before you finish, you go, oh, they've got the hammer and the nails out already. And they're, mm. whoa, you know, and they're building the thing. Mm. And I think that is, I've always found a lot of the institutions I've worked for, you come up with an idea and they go, no, that that won't be able to be done. And you go, it's all right, I've got a mate. And she can do it, actually. She's, 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 yeah. I think that will be too much, but it, it's mm. too much bother. Um, so I, I I agree that thing of saying there is it's a bit like you know the pragma, pragmatism mm. where people say what am I going to get out of this what's that going to do you know, you know all of the best in in terms of for me personally a lot of the ideas that led to things like Infinite Monkey Cage that led to you know the the world tour that Brian did that or the books that I've written none of them started with a grand plan. They started because, well, what, what, because I did a show which ended with me punching a melon with Vernon Kay's face drawn on it uh, and then singing Mustang Sally, uh, which was, it turned out, not everyone's cup of tea. And uh, and that led to me then put, make, doing a show called Book Club uh, and that I got loads of artists who I thought, oh, hang on a minute, the, the comedy club spaces aren't right for some of the more kind of eccentric and intriguing acts. And all of those things, no, none of them made money. You know, we literally, the book club thing, we sold out every time we did it and the money was just put behind the bar and everyone would just have a drink. And they, But mm. all of those plans, if someone had said, right, so we're very interested in putting money into book club, what are we going to get out of it? And I'd have no idea. Mm. All it came out of, I want to create something that is just feel, and I wanted to get rid of judgment as well. I remember the mm. first night walking out there and saying, there's lots of acts on tonight. They're going to be experimenting with all sorts of things. And some of the acts are going to come out and do something and you may well sit there and go, oh, this is not any good at all. And what you have to remember is you're wrong. And I, cause <laughs> I want it because I've seen the comedy clubs get to that point where everyone was tested just the whole time. So you end up not experimenting. You end up going, oh, jonglers, which was, you know, the big chain of yeah, the time. Yeah. You know, jonglers, if someone started doing new jokes, they'd go, hang on a minute, what are you doing? You know, like, no, we've booked you for that set. Yeah. And all sense of art then goes, all sense of creativity mm -hmm. Yeah. And the next thing is you realise that actually you're, you've you've got a job where, well, a lot of people found that in lockdown. There's a few comics who went, oh, so I just got a normal job. And I found out it was much better, you know, because I've had to be going up to Sunderland for 110 quid. And by the time I've taken anything into account, so now I'm delivering groceries and I get home. <laughs> you know, yeah. and all, all that kind yeah. of stuff. And so that, it's so important, I, I, I think, to not have a grand plan, but just try and make stuff where you go, right, I've got an idea and I just want to make it. Well, well who's it for? I don't know. Mm. You know, when I started doing, you know, a lot of the shows, a lot of the audience that, that come along now, there was nothing, there was no grand plan. And now there's a certain, when I say a certain, even that's very broad. You know, there's, I do get people in their 90s and I do get people who are 12. And, but, you know, the, the one grand plan I have now 
is that it has become one of my purposes to hope that everyone feels happier to be alive at the end of the show and feels a little bit more included. And you know, that that is has become more and more important to me. Mm. Um, but that didn't come out, it just came out of me getting better at going. It's a bit like if you play Belfast, Glasgow or uh, Liverpool, they can be quite tough crowds. They'll see through you. They'll see if you don't mean it. Mm. And I can almost track that point where actually it was a night in Belfast. I was trying out a new show. I always start new shows in Belfast if I can because they talk as fast as me there. And um, I did about two and a half, three hours or something with permission from the venue, I should add. And I did allow people out if they wanted. I, I, I looked at the time, I said, officially this is when the gigs are. I said, you're free to go at any point. Don't. I'm not going to pick on you, whatever. Um, but I did this show and it was, I, it was I had lots of just hodgepodge of ideas. But this woman came up to me afterwards and just wanted to talk about the fact that it was the first time she'd come out since her dad had died. Mm. And she just wanted to share the story. And I just sat and, and then some other people came along and they just wanted to, and I thought, and I, again, it wasn't that conscious then, but now I've re- there is a point where people feel they can just come up and mm. say, hello, I just want to tell you this. And sometimes it's a very happy story mm. and sometimes it's a story of things they've overcome or whatever. But I, I now look back 15 years ago to that and think, yeah, that was. I think I was beginning to get it then. Mm. Well, you're kind of being authentic and doing, I, I guess, working more intuitively rather than thinking like, right, what's going to sell? What's going to make the most money? And I think all creatives or people that are self-employed will at some point come across this issue because yeah. you think, right, I've got to make ends meet here. I've got to pay the bills. So let's try and make some money. And then you end up kind of like burning out and it's and then you're miserable and then you're like, you might as well go and get another job, like just mm. delivering groceries or whatever. Because if you're not doing what makes you passionate, you know, what you're passionate about, what makes you happy, then, yeah, people generally, they can see right through it. Um, and, yeah, same with my artwork. There were times when I, going through the creative process, building up my career, when I felt the pressure to, like, paint what I thought was going to sell. But then actually doing the stuff that might be a bit slightly different that I didn't know for sure was going to sell ended up selling better. I mean that badger skull collection you're going to do, yeah, amazing. The yeah. animatronic ba- badger yeah. skulls—that's the way forward, I think. I'm going to call the collection "Upon Death." Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was just kind of "Wind in the Willows," naked. <laughs> the um, naked attractions. Charles's favourite TV show. Oh my goodness! The um, <laughs> Stop that was it. a thing when you were. Yeah, that it reminded me of. Have you ever seen, there's a feature length documentary about Ralph Steadman. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No. The, 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 um, do you know Ralph Steadman's work? You no. probably, you would, do you know what? It's one of those things you I would know I if would you saw. It. Yeah. I'm not very good with names at all. It's very much kind of big splashes and, mm. you know, with yeah. momentum. And it's got this beautiful bit where quite often he starts the day by dipping into the Indian ink and he's got a big canvas there and he just goes splat. Yeah. And then he goes, what am I going to make out of that? And it's a beautiful thing in the documentary where he eventually turns it into some kind of dog or whatever. Mm. And then he finishes it at the end of the day and he goes, well, I don't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that there's, it's, it's like I got him once to do uh, the Large Hadron Collider for a, a, a magazine that I was helping edit for, for kind of one-off thing. And I heard afterwards that, because people said normally you can buy his art if you've commissioned him to do, to do something for a magazine he'll sell it to you oh, cool. and initially he apparently went oh I don't, large hadron colliders very what an awful commission this is and then he actually loved doing it so much that he said i'm really sorry i can't sell it to you because i'm keeping it for myself so I, I, but i loved that you know his first thing was mm. oh why have i been given that yeah and then he finished it 
And like the thing, I'm sure both, you know, we've all had that thing that when you work on a project and then suddenly afterwards you realise how you've managed to educate yourself yeah. by going, oh, yeah. that, I mean, that's part of the excitement, I think, is that I've, I've found ways of just... Yeah, someone asked me the other day, said, do you have any hobbies? I went, well, no, why would I have a hobby? A hobby is an escape from your work. My my work is, that's it, that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, I love it, and, and I will create whenever I can. In fact, I found that during lockdown, where the first few days of lockdown, I had a headache that just wouldn't go away. Mm. And then I sat down, and I just wrote, I suddenly thought, oh, I've got an idea for a thing, and I wrote, I think, 5,000 words that afternoon, and the headache went. Mm. And I actually found out that, you know, Josie and me used to do a live show every morning as well, and it was like that we, we had to create something, yeah, or it felt like there was a physical build-up manifesting inside yeah. us. Yeah. You had to sort of exorcise that, yeah. that demon. Down. Yeah, it's like if you drilled into your head, you'd hear a whistling sound, you know, it'd <laughs> yeah. be like a kettle, you know, just pouring out. That's amazing. It's, yeah. yeah. So lucky that as well that you've got that because some people are just emotionally and creatively just dry like a desert, you know. And they just think that that's how life should be: just go to work, come home, watch TV, read the news, go on Twitter, start an argument with someone, mm. <laughs> and that's life, kind of thing. Have you found that when you're doing, when you're coming up with these ideas, you have to be kind of careful about who you share them with because people. And when you were saying, you know, if if it doesn't line up, your idea doesn't line up with another person's idea of reality or concept of reality then it's like oh no it can't be done kind of thing do you have like a select few people that you'll share ideas with who you know are going to be like yeah sounds great go for it well I always work with the same people generally so uh, you know I'm not someone in the mainstream media or you know apart from Infinite Monkey Cage I don't do anything for the BBC and I don't really do anything for so I'm very rarely employed apart from by myself Mm. and so you know it will be Josie uh, or it well more often than not it's my friend Trent Burton who uh, is the Cosmic Shambles that we do and, and I will you know he's great because uh, I will just ring up and go Trent I've got an idea for a thing right we could make it like it'd be a 17 part series right and it'll be a bit start with Don't Look Now or something like that and I, I've got a couple of mates that I've met and, and there was oh there was a woman I met who's a painter and she'd be great about, about that and, uh, and then he'll go okay <laughs> and so I, I am you know in our relationship I'm the one who's always pacing around going got an idea got an idea got an idea and he's very very good at and very trustworthy as well this is the thing is that I think for all of us we can go through life and you you start to realize hang on a minute I'm prepared to put myself out for that person but when it came the other way around then that was not you know, I mean, it's an interesting. I was talking with someone the other day, going back to the mental health thing about uh, that she really helped someone through a difficult time, mm. and then when she was having a difficult time, this bloke just got someone else for the band instead. Oh. And you go, no, 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 this has to. And and so I do have the, the small group of people. And Carl Cooper, who I, I made a series called Reality Tunnel with on on Radio Four. Carl's a very old friend of mine, and I love again just creating things with him and and he he does mark Steele's uh in town on radio four stuff as well and i love I, I sit in his uh it's like brian when i was on tour brian cox one day went why aren't you staying in the posh hotel tonight and uh i, I <laughs> went i'm going to Levensume because uh my mate carl's there he's got a self-inflating lilo and i <laughs> and if you give me the choice of the luxury hotel <laughs> or sleeping on the floor of carl's office that's where i'm much more comfortable yeah because 
you know, we'll sit up late. We get kind of just, oh, no, I don't like this stand-up special. I don't like this. Oh, you've got to watch this, Robin. You've got to find it. Do you not know about? And he will just introduce me to loads of ideas. Mm. And that's the other thing as well, isn't it, in terms of creativity, which is if you see an exhibition and you think, oh, I don't like the sound of that, go. Mm. You need to go uh, because there's lots of artists that, and 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 by artists now, I mean, you know, the same with music and everything, mm. which is you go, oh, I'll just see what it's like. And then you can't go. I like. I never knew about you. Do you know Robert Rauschenberg? Mm. No. Right. He's a, 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 a American not, I've, I've realised we're not very every single cult, person culture, you've mentioned. We? We're like, not very no, no, no. It's fine though because it's like <laughs> I remember someone coming up to me when I was doing a gig in somewhere like Italy or somewhere like that, and, and and they said, I don't think we we didn't get all your cultural references though. We enjoyed it. I said, don't feel that's because I'm in Italy. I said it's exactly the same when I'm in the UK because again, it's that bit where I've realised that there's just too many things in. Yeah, you know, Brian always goes, no one knows anything you're talking about. <laughs> or I've never seen any of the films that you like. And uh, well, you but, must have like a good memory. You retain, if I barely remember, you know, like my friends' names half the time, I've just got such... Oh, names, are that kind of name, I'm, I, I'm not very good on. But also because every single night when I'm doing a show, uh, it will be a different show. Mm. So... I try as much as possible, just, you know, I'll start with the almost the last conversation I've had, chatting to the bookseller or whatever, just before going on and go, oh, we were just talking about this thing. Mm. So it means that I think that helps the memories because if I've seen something that I love, the thing that I want to do is share it with everyone. So like the, the film, uh, The Quiet Girl, I'm not even going to ask. Okay, the uh, but the Quiet Girl, right? I saw that Irish film, fantastic. Uh, it's nominated for the best foreign film at the Oscars, and oh, cool. um, and I just watched that, and and now I have to tell everyone about it. Mm. And uh, my friend Barry Crimmins, comedian who's no longer uh, with us, unfortunately, there's a movie about him called Call Me Lucky, made by Bobcat Goldthwait, and I still, I just every if any chance, mm. I'll say you got to see this, you got to see it. Mm. So so because it becomes part of a show, and it comes part sometimes of a of an audience experience. I think that helps. But yeah, Rauschenberg has a... I knew nothing about him. And then he had a big exhibition at the Tate Modern. And you know when you... I don't know if you've certain artists where you can't help but smile at everything they've made, mm. that there's something which... And, and I don't know what it is. There's something in their process that has somehow, without there being a written joke or anything, there's somehow there's a delight. Like Rauschenberg, so he fought in the war uh, and then he went on. Oh, the Americans, you know, you, he, you got given that. I can't remember what it's called now. There was a special kind of dispensation which allowed you to go off and learn when you left, when you stopped being a GI, the GI Bill, something like that. Went off to France, realised he really wanted to, to make stuff. And, and he would just do, like sometimes he'd just look at boxes and go, I wonder how many different ways you can unfold them and then what they look like on the wall when you unfold and, and you just so that was one thing and then another thing went I should work with some scientists I'm going to make a vat of mud that bubbles and and you just and then there was a thing called uh, a raised de Kooning which is one of my favourites he used to talk about this a lot which was uh, William de Kooning the, the, the artist who was at that point in New York very well I mean still very very famous but Rauschenberg really looked up to him he was like one of those artists and Rauschenberg said can I have one of your works please I'd like to um, rub it out and he was like <laughs> really annoyed about this and eventually he'd been pestered so much he made this really intense piece with loads of pencils and then Robert Rauschenberg spent a whole month just erasing as hard as he could keep erasing keep erasing and then just put it in a frame and said erase de Kooning and suddenly that to me is a really beautiful idea yeah. what was there it's like you know when you see the on a wall where there has obviously been a painting for a long time because mm. now the, the discoloration yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. around the side and I was at an old house in Tiverton on uh, Wednesday and there was lots of that and they've deliberately kept it and that what was there Mm. is such a great thing. But yeah, Rauschenberg just... 
uh, I knew nothing of him beforehand. And then I was obsessed immediately afterwards because I was like, or obsessed during really. Because I was like, everything he's looking at, he's going. Um, and he seems like a really joyful person as well. Mm. He, he became a choreographer for a while because someone mistakenly put in a program that he was a choreographer. So he thought, that might as well be there. <laughs> and and it, so he worked with John Cage and Merce Cunningham and stuff like that. That's amazing. Wow. The, 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 um, Metaphorically, the the painting that's been removed from the wall and the the shadow of 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 its former self is left. That is ghosts to me. If we want yeah, to exactly. That's oh, I ghost. would definitely say all of those things are like this house in Tiverton. It was amazing as well because so I I did this talk. Had a lovely big big room and just really delightful audience. Uh, again, lots of different ages. Uh, lovely older couple who uh, the woman came up to me afterwards and said uh, and said, yeah, it's funny really because I had a whole family and everything in London. So I was about sixty before I realised I was a lesbian. You know, they, they <laughs> kind of like then tell a little story there and um, and then I talked about the author Jean. Reese, who wrote Why to Gasso Sea, and so, and then Tara, who actually owns the house, she went, Oh, I just wanted to tell you, my grandmother uh, is the only person who, when uh, Jean Reese was alive, actually managed to get one of her plays on the radio. She performed a version of Good Morning Midnight. I said, Next Friday, I'm doing a show all about Good Morning Midnight, wow. so you need to come on to that. Yeah. Um, again, all that bit that if you just if you if you don't think all the time, what do they want? Mm. You just go, Well, I'm going to try and get, I, I, I want, I really want people to be happy. Mm. But I don't want to do, you know, if, if I suddenly walked out there and they went, just so you know, Robin, they're very racist crowd. And I'd go, well, the most important thing is to make them laugh. <laughs> it's a double thing, which is I really want people to have a fantastic time, but it kind of will be on my terms as well. Mm. But I hope that no one will ever be able to leave a room. You know, anyone who's hated the show, they would still go, I'll tell you what, I hated that show, but I mean, he did put a lot of effort in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing. You know that that that's the important part. Of will it. you? Um, when I have my next exhibition, will you write the review for it? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. But she put a lot. Of there was no badger skulls. I was really de disappointed. Oh, just leave the shape of a badger skull on the wall. That's all I want. Oh, yes, a very slight. Yeah, like there's been one there for many many years, and it's now been like been etched into the into the oh, wallpaper. That, that's, I see bad. I see dead badgers sometimes. I live in the middle of nowhere. Oh, no. That is such a great version of six sense <laughs> i see dead badgers <laughs> i see badgers it, it, it's been they remade with chris packham really yeah chris packham <laughs> yeah. bruce willis role amazing <laughs> yeah bruce yeah chris packham doesn't realize he's a badger <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well robin Ince, it's been an absolute delight we could talk to Hang you on, for we haven't hours, done loads and hours of questions what i know run, tell me the questions you had and and, and we'll just a, check on what they were going to be just a picture of a badger on it they've born a badger <laughs> And and a few time time codes, so we're right. <laughs> okay. we're right. we've covered everything. I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thanks very much for having me. No, thank you. Yeah, you're one of these people that I feel like you've you're knowledgeable on a lot of things, and we could talk to you about anything. Like, I feel like we could be like, right, Robin, today we're going to talk about um, baking, and you'd have all of this insightful information, and then we would feel. See, like I love you because the moment you did that, I was thinking, mm. and I suddenly remembered a wonderful book that I have, which I recommend to everyone. Oh, go on. Because I do think I've, I, that. Things, I, I, again, the tangibility and the taste, uh, you know, and the memory that goes with that and all those kind of yeah. proofs and beyond things. Mm, but there's yeah. a, just this fantastic, I don't know if it's still in print, but it's called The Holocaust Survivors Cookbook. And it is for, uh, it is people who survived the World War II Holocaust and they are sometimes recipes of their own and sometimes they're recipes of their family members who died in the camps. Wow. And, and it's such a, because as you're making it, you can't help but feel the mm. hands Mm. And and again, the human—it's it's like the, the there's a Jacob Bronowski who made the Ascent of Man. There's an incredible 
one of the episodes ends with him talking about basically that ideology is the thing that we, you know, when men believe they're gods. He said it was not science that created this. And he's in standing in Auschwitz and he says, you know, I must do this in memory of my family who died. In, and, and, and he just, he pulls out, stands. No, the, the director didn't know he was going to do this right. He's just a, a little man in a suit, but he walks into this this puddle, the deep puddle, and he just bends down and he pulls up the weeds and the mud that will, of course, be mixed also with some of the, you know those people who died there. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, a incredible again the tangibility of if it, you know it, you you can read as many books as you want, but that physical communication, that sense of of what else is in this mud, all of those things, mm-hmm. um, I just think so. That's the conversation we'd have had if you'd said let's talk about baking. Mm, yeah, interesting that that's <laughs> that's the turn that took. <laughs> But I just, yeah, it's always, I, I, it excites me so much where, again, it's it's become just much, much easier in the last couple of years because this is what goes on the whole time in my head. Mm. And so I take it you don't like meditate or anything? No, I've tried all those. I, I just, it's a bit like I had a brain scan a while ago for just for fun. And uh, <laughs> I've had two just for fun. I'm always available just for a I love, recreational I love one. stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, and the one bit that reading was wonky was where I was meant to just be calm and not think about anything. Mm. And uh, and they said, yeah, that bit's not normal. I said, well, it's, I got bored very, very quickly. So I was just, I started playing a scene from the Bob Hoskins film, The Long Good Friday, in my head. Because I, I, I'd quite often do that, or, or sometimes I'll just. Why? that movie though oh, I love that movie it's a great movie but I yeah, just wondered yeah. why that one just I don't, know, do you know what, I don't know what it was but it was it must have been the sound of the magnets somehow yeah. reminding me of Francis Monkman's soundtrack but it was but yeah that, that, that sometimes I just walk in rooms and, and in my head and see how much I can you know when you walk mm. through an old school maybe that you went to mm. and you think hang on a minute was it that colour were the floor tiles that colour and, mm. and I, I'm always interested in just so yeah it's um it's interesting because then there's artists aren't there that have found out what, what's that that thing called uh let's get this wrong which is my friend john higgs wrote about it in his book about william blake which is where people have no internal visual imagination so if you say apple they can't see an mm. apple oh, yeah okay and then apparently there's quite a few artists with that and i find that really interesting because i think people imagine that artists have loads of images in their head mm. but some people have no images and therefore i'm thinking that that must be one of the reasons that the image goes on the yeah the canvas they have to because yeah you have to create something more tangible mm. because you, you can't p- throw that i'm not one of these people unfortunately yeah. <laughs> i'm similar to you robin i knew that always talking always talking in my head <laughs> well thank robin, you. that's thank the end now so much it? It is, it is the end is yes. this the real ending or another false oh, ending? Yeah. let's find out <laughs> Thank you for listening to Unquestionable. We'd love to hear from you on social media by searching for Unquestionable Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.